much for tuning in and welcome everyone i hope you're doing well i'm your host ben lively and you're listening to shaken awake episode number 45 i just wanted to thank you for tuning in wherever you are and whatever you're doing right this very moment and if you haven't listened to episode one of the show please take a moment and listen when you're able it explains how god led me to create this show and gives god all the glory for turning my life around by my testimonial of his power and on another special note uh, it it made the world to me and my mission for him uh, if you would help spread the word of this show tell someone you know or don't know doesn't matter uh, to give this show a listen and it's played everywhere podcasts are hosted online or through apps and of course youtube so today's episode uh, is entitled 10 right ways to live according to god and scripture especially in these last days. Uh, right from the start, I'm, I'm going to give you a quick hint. These are the right ways to live no matter the day or time that we're in. You know, the sense of urgency to get there might be heightened, but there's no difference in how we are to live today versus during the end times, which I fully believe we're already in, according to the signs Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 24, uh, which would be the heads up to believers that the end was near. Um, today, I'm going to provide you 10 ways to live right according to God's word. And I'm going to challenge you to take on all 10 every day. Why? First, because God asks us to, and it's important to him. And second, we are to love the things that he loves and hate the things he hates. Why would we then not, right? Christians are called to live for Christ and and follow him in everything that we do. But what exactly does it mean to live for Christ? And how do we do it? The best way is to look directly in the Bible for examples of how Christ lived and just try to be as much like him as possible. He lived a life that set the perfect example of how we are to live ours. How many of you would easily agree that living for the Savior is more meaningful than living for ourselves? I hope all of you. How many know know that much of the time... It's easy to get caught up living more for ourselves than for him. So here are 10 real-world steps you can take today to start living your life for God and should be used as a daily resolution to him and to yourself. First would be spend time in the Word and read your Bible daily. You know, you must understand God's Word to live for him, right? If you want to live for and live like Jesus, you must know what he was like. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, They tell us about Jesus' life and the lessons that he taught his disciples and followers. And this could be a great place to start studying God's word, but we don't just stop there. Jesus instructed us to, quote unquote, keep the commandments in Matthew 19, 17, making it clear that it's important to understand all of God's laws to really live like him. So set aside a little time each day or evening or both to read your Bible. Even five to 10 minutes can help you understand the love of Jesus. It can help to do this at the same time every day, like as soon as you wake up or on on your lunch break or before you go to bed. I uh, recommend a read the Bible in a a year plan, not to be legalistic, but to place God on your schedule daily and set that spiritual 
and divine appointment between you and him. Part of that time should be spent reading his word that he had written for you, uh, for, for all of us. Search on Google, read the Bible in a year plan in chronological order. Search that up. And before I started reading my Bible daily in April of 2019, I had no idea the Bible wasn't written in order. It's because I never tried to read more than a few verses out of it in my entire life. So if you don't know, there are many resources that you can download that'll list which book, chapter, verse to read each day of the 365-day calendar and in what order. And it just takes the guesswork and the frustration off the table. I highly recommend reading the New Testament through first, as that has the law that we're now under and will show the entire life before, during, and after Jesus came. Everything in the Bible is our roadmap for life. It's your roadmap for life. There's nothing omitted or added that you don't need or you you that, that you need. It, it supplies us with everything we need for daily living, both on this side of heaven and on the other. And if you want endless proof of the power of the Bible and the importance of de- dwelling in it daily, Google the following. Google, what does the Bible say about the importance of reading the Bible. I'll have a clickable link in the show notes to take you directly to those search results. So hold on to your hats. It will blow you away. Nothing else is needed. So here is but one verse from that. James one twenty two. But be doers of the world word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. I'm going to repeat that. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's one of many. Second would be spend time in prayer each day. Set aside a quiet time for prayer. Prayer is how we build a personal uh, relationship with God. In fact, there are several times when the Bible describes Jesus going to a quiet uh, place to pray. So if the Son of God needed prayer as part of his spiritual life, imagine how important it is for you and me. Follow Jesus' example and make it a priority to spend some time each day talking to God and listening for his guidance. Pray about everything, from your troubles and sins to things you're excited about. Pray that God will help you make the right decisions in, in, in your own life. And pray for other people who are hurting or haven't found God yet. And if you want endless proof of why we should spend time in prayer each day, go ahead and go back to Google, type in what does the Bible say about the importance of spending time in prayer each day. Again, I'll have a clickable link in the show notes to take you directly to those search results. And here is but one of those, Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, third thing we should do daily is serve others. Honor Jesus by giving your time and energy to other people. You know, even though he was God's son, Jesus didn't come here and demand that others bow down and wait on his every need. He fed people who were hungry. He healed people who were sick. And he even humbled himself enough to wash some of their feet. So if you want to live your life for him, treat others the way he did by helping them when they're in need, forgiving them when they do things wrong and loving them no matter what. You can try volunteering your time, helping people that are uh, in need in your your community, can work in a uh, helpless or homeless shelter, a soup kitchen or organizing a, a clothing drive. 
You can also serve people in a less formal way, like buying a sandwich for someone who's hungry or listening to a friend who's having a hard time. You know, share the gifts that God has given you as a way to serve others, whether it's wisdom, wealth, or maybe a talent or ability that you can have, that you have. Serving God is one of the most important principles of the Christian faith. As believers, we're expected to help the church with a joyful spirit, love one another, right? Care for one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, help one another, counsel one another, support one another. On and on, scripture tells us of our relationship to God and others through service. You know, we, we must remember that serving others may not always be easy, but we will be rewarded in eternity. Secondly, we must remember that nothing is too small, that God will not use it. Nothing we do for God is in vain. And if you want endless proof of why we should serve others, go to Google. Type in, what does the Bible say about serving others? Again, I'll have a clickable link in the show notes to take you directly to the search results. And here is one. Matthew 25, 31 to 46, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all of the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink and... When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see a sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them truly. I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, here's the scary part. This is, this is what shook me awake two years ago, two and a half years ago. Then we, he will say to those on the left, his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. And I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And they'll also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life will go to hell. Could he have made it any clearer to you and I? Guess who I was for the first 41 years of my life? I'd been, I was one of the herd of the goats that would have been banished to hell for exactly what he says he will say to them. Okay, fours share God's word with other people. Tell them about God's love and Jesus' sacrifice. You know, you're usually excited to tell your friends when you see like a cool movie or we eat at an awesome new restaurant, right? Well, in the same way, the best way to honor the amazing gifts of Jesus is to share it with others. 
You know, when you're spreading that love, you're truly living for Jesus and making him the biggest priority in your life. In Matthew 5.14, the Bible says you are the light of the world. That means it's your job and my job to share the light and hope of God's word with the people around us who are living in sin and hopelessness. Try joining an outreach ministry in your church or spread the message of Jesus while helping people in need. You could also share the story of what God has done in your life with the people you meet. You know, your testimony is one of the most impactful things you can share with anyone. First, it honors God for what he's done for you in your life. And and second, it shows a powerful and real world example of how one can go from unsaved to saved in a matter of a second. And even the lowest of the low are able to be saved by calling out to Jesus. If you want endless proof of why we should share God's word with other people, Google, what does the Bible say about sharing God's word with others? Again, I'll have a clickable link in the notes to take you right to those results. Here is but one of those verses. It is Psalms 96, 2-4. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Each day, proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Number five is put God first always. Make God the most important thing of your life every single day. His God's very first commandment is not to put any other gods higher than him. However, it's more than just not following another religion. It means not having anything in your life that's more important to you than God. Ask yourself, where do you turn to when you're upset? What makes you the most excited in your life? Do those things glorify God? Are they God? In Ezekiel 4.3, the Bible describes idols as, quote unquote, things that will make us or you fall into sin. Idols can include harmful habits and substances. But they can also be things that are normally considered uh, considered positive, like your career or friends or school or video games or sports, if they interfere with your relationship with God. If you're willing to lie or steal or cheat to uh, accomplish or obtain something, it's almost certainly an idol in your life. However, the sin might be more subtle, like getting angry or being jealous of someone else if you can't have it. God is all-powerful and all-knowing, but he's also loving and forgiving, and he wants us to live for him. You want endless proof of why we should always put God first? Google, what does the Bible say about putting God first? I'll have that as a clickable uh, link in the show notes. And here is but one of those verses, Matthew 22, 34 to 38. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together in one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. The next thing we need to do is resist temptation. Pray that God will help you be strong against sin. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you'll never be tempted to sin. Jesus was the only person who never sinned, and even he was tempted by Satan, and several times at that. When you get saved, though, you're given the gift of the Holy Spirit, which will guide you to know what's right and wrong. 
and your faith in Jesus will give you the strength to make choices that will please God. In Matthew 6, 13, Jesus prayed, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You can use the same prayer when you're asking God to help you avoid sin. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the Bible promises that you have the strength to overcome the urge to sin. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. You want endless proof of why we should resist temptation? Google, what does the Bible say about resisting temptation? I include these in the search notes, in the notes, with a clickable link. Here is, but one of the verses, Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Number seven, don't put much value immaterial things or possessions. What's waiting in heaven is more important than earth. When you're living for Jesus, remember that your goal is to ultimately to join God in heaven. That is heaven in the presence of God and to do as much as you can to serve him in the meantime. So you shouldn't put too much stock in obtaining money or possessions, uh, you know, like clothes or electronics or jewelry. They won't do you any good in the eternal life. You can have nice things and you can enjoy them. You know, they're blessings from God after all. Just don't let the pursuit of them distract you from serving God. You know, some people say they don't have time to read the Bible, but they're on Facebook two and a half hours a day. In Matthew 19, 21, Jesus tells a rich man, if you would be perfect, because he basically tells Jesus he's lived a perfect life, and Jesus knows him. He said, if you would be perfect, sell what you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Unfortunately, he does not and he walks away ashamed. And I bet that to this very day, that guy wished he had. He's not in heaven wishing that either, by the way. He's in hell. And you want endless proof of why we shouldn't put much value in material things or possessions? Google, what does the Bible say about placing value all material possessions. I'll have a clickable link in the show notes to take you directly to those search results. One of those is James 424. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. That was another verse that shook me awake. Still does to this day. Number eight, trust God's plan for your life. You know, look to him for guidance, even when times are hard. In Romans 8, 28, the Bible promises that everything you go through is part of God's plan for you. Did you know that? It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. 
This is true even when you're faced with incredible struggles like sickness, poverty, or the loss of loved ones. Just keep praying. And God will show you his will and that he will be glorified through whatever you go through. Doesn't always mean you have to be happy about difficult circumstances. And Jesus showed us this when he wept as he mourned the death of his friend Lazarus, even though he was about to bring him back to life. And in Matthew 22, 39, Jesus even prayed that God would help him avoid being crucified. And yet he still acknowledged the perfectness of God's plan when he said, not as I will, but as you will. If you want endless proof of why we should trust God's plan for our lives, Google, what does the Bible say about trusting God's plan for my life? And I'll include those in the show notes. Again, verify them with your Bible. Here's but one of those verses, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Getting down to the end. Number nine, spend time with other believers. Rely on each other for support when you need it. You know, Jesus was the perfect son of God, but he surrounded himself with companions, not just to teach them about God, but to help support him when he needed it too. It's like iron sharpening iron. In Matthew uh, 26, 38, as Jesus was facing death, he asked his friend Peter, James, and John to join him as he prayed. Man, that's a powerful illustration of why Christians should spend time building strong, loving relationships with other followers. When you meet with them, spend time praying, reading the Bible, and just listening to each other. You know, that fellowship will help you all grow as you follow Jesus. If you want proof of why we should spend time with other believers, Google, what does the Bible say about fellowship with other believers? I did, and I'll have a clickable link in the show notes to take you directly to the results. Here's but one of those, Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, two or three, that means you and at least one other person, there am I among them. Literally. Number 10, finally have loving relationships with unbelievers. Jesus spent time with both sinners and believers. Being a Christian doesn't mean shutting yourself off from anyone who doesn't believe the way you do. God calls us to love our neighbors, not just other Christians. You don't even have to spend all your time trying to convert unbelievers. Just spend time with them. Listen to their problems. Be there when they need you. You know, as they see Jesus working in your life, it may make them more curious to learn more about him when they're ready. For instance, you know, if you have a friend who doesn't go to church, you can invite them to yours, but don't pressure them that much. You know, if you're not tempted to sin with your, when you're with them, it's fine to hang out how you normally would, like going to a ball game or, you know, having dinner together. Show Jesus' love by encouraging and motivating others instead of criticizing them or putting them down. Be your mirror. We should be a mirror. When they look at us, they should see Christ. If you want endless proof on why we should spend time with unbelievers, Google, what does the Bible say about fellowship with unbelievers? And I include the results in the show notes today. Here is but one. 2 Corinthians 6.14 might be used as justification. It says, do not be yoked to get together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Therefore, 
Many believe to be Christian means we lose all association with unbelievers, but this is a wrong interpretation. Paul is not telling us not to have unbelieving friends, but not to join together with unbelievers in the practices and and worldview. In other words, the yoking together means to join with them in their lifestyle and belief system and therefore becoming like them. This doesn't mean that we're not to have unbelieving friends. Christians should have unbelieving friends. First of all, they keep you real. Many of us have been in Christian circles so long, we don't even know what it's like in the world outside of Christianity. You know, another thing is they're not shy about their struggles and and asking great questions. Believers sometimes feel that it's, you know, quote unquote, unchristian to ask some of these tough questions. And this shouldn't be. Believers should always be the first to ask the tough questions. And most important is because Christ had unbelieving friends. Christ was on a mission to reconcile the world to himself. He had both unbelieving friends and believing friends. He sought to win the lost and to disciple the one. There was a great balance in his ministry. So if you want to follow Christ's example, associate with all those in need. You know, the kingdom will be here soon. Let us keep our focus straight. The one thing we will not be able to do in heaven is to bring an unbeliever to Christ. Let us have unbelieving friends. So before we end today's show, I just wanted to thank you all uh, for tuning in. And I hope you were touched by today's message in scripture. Uh, Check out the show at shaken-awake.com or shaken-awake.com or email me at ban at shaken-awake.com or call or text me directly for any reason at 407-493-3208. Again, that number is 407-493-3208. I have all the links for today's show to take you to the um, the verses uh, through Google so you can bounce them from your Bible. And uh, we'll, we'll go with next week's topic. You know, next week we're going to tune in next Sunday or whenever you're able as we dive into another important topic of today, which is God will not forgive you if you do not forgive all. Next week's episode is another powerful and do not miss episode. Thank you all for joining. Until next week, take great care of yourself and each other and God bless you all. 